listeners, welcome back to eMigCast, your source for emergency medicine ideas, inspiration, and information for medical students. My name is Tristan Zimmerman, and I am a second-year medical student at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. For this episode, I sat down with Dr. Becky Tuttle, an emergency medicine physician here in Portland, to talk about the intersection between medicine and law in the form of subpoenas. A subpoena is in order to appear and testify before a court, and can be issued for several reasons. Subpoenas can be issued for documents, such as medical records, or to compel a witness to testify in a deposition or in a courtroom. Physicians who are subpoenaed can serve as one of two types of witnesses, fact or opinion. Fact witnesses testify about things they might have observed or heard regarding a case, such as the fact that you saw a patient fall in a hospital hallway or heard the patient complaining of the worst pain of their life. An opinion witness, also known as an expert witness, gives testimony regarding opinions formed from a given set of facts, such as the knowledge that a blood pressure of 180 over 110 constitutes hypertension. So with that background in mind, let's jump right into the episode talking subpoenas and emergency medicine with Dr. Becky Tuttle. So to start off, could I have you just introduce yourself, where you received your education, and what you're doing today? Hi, I'm Becky Tuttle, and I went to medical school at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and then I did my emergency medicine residency at Harbor UCLA in Southern California, and then I did a two-year education fellowship at OHSU, and um, now I'm working full-time clinically at the VA in Portland, but also um, part-time work in the community. So have you ever been subpoenaed as a physician, and could you tell us about those times? Yeah, so I've been subpoenaed a couple times, and thankfully, neither of which are for um, any practice-related concerns. Both times have been um, more as either a witness to um, a patient incident or uh, as a a way to get the medical records into the um, court system. And so just first wanted to mention that the two big differences in a subpoena are there's a deposition subpoena, which is more of a a flexible type of a request where um, your testimony is um, being obtained to get more information about pursuing a claim, whereas um, the other type of subpoena is for a trial, which is like for a specific time and place, and that is an official court proceeding. So the first time I was deposed was for, for a deposition, or the first time I was subpoenaed was for a deposition, and that was related to a a patient fall in the hospital, and I was the first sort of code responder to that instant. And the second time that I was subpoenaed was, and actually still is, as it's an ongoing process, um, the for a trial, um, and that's, as many emergency physicians will experience during their career, um, because I took care of a patient who um, was brought in for concern for abuse and whether, you know, it's like child abuse or sexual assault, um, there are oftentimes that we facilitate either a SANE exam, um, which varies by location as to what that exam is called. So the patient had essentially been brought to the emergency department for like forensic data collection and I helped facilitate that process. Um, And the subpoena is kind of interesting is for this case that was, um, or patient that I took care of, um, two years ago, and this subpoena has been delayed, I would I would estimate probably like a dozen times, and so I keep getting court dates 
but have not actually gone to trial related to the subpoena and there's still a very high likelihood that it will uh, that the accused will plead out and I won't need to testify but I have received the paperwork <laughs> So if you are subpoenaed for medical records, like you talked about earlier, how do you know if you're authorized to release a patient's records? So that's a great question. And usually if it's an official subpoena um, in relation to a criminal case, it's usually fair game to talk about the medical records. In general, if somebody re receives a subpoena, uh, the consensus is that one should uh, get a little bit more information, you know, get this... Um, whether it's written down, the subpoena usually is written down, but if there is somebody requesting more information related to a case, uh, the important thing is to get a written, written authorization from the patient or a legal mandate to discuss the case. And um, there have been times where even that are unrelated to subpoenas where I've received a phone call and either it could be from the hospital risk management or from an attorney trying to get more information and in that situation, the, the first question always should be, you know, who is it that's contacting me? Like, who are you? Who do you represent? Why are you contacting me? Is this a relation or is this in relation to a lawsuit? And another really important question is, am I a party? Meaning, am I somebody that is named in this lawsuit? And if you're not a party, then a prudent question to follow up would be who are the named parties and that's important because you want to know is this person suing your institution and um, you really just kind of want to know who's at play here and then if you are getting a subpoena and perhaps it's related to medical records that could seem pretty objective and inoffensive but always ask should I get an attorney and if it's a lawyer that's contacting you the lawyer might either say, oh, actually, I'm your lawyer, which is, you know, a possibility, or they might tell you, uh, it's okay to get an attorney if you think it would be more helpful. But if an attorney were to say, you know, if they were to respond to that question of whether or not you should get a lawyer, oh, they're not suing you, don't worry. And if they're like flippant or dismissive, then that's the time you might want to actually be concerned. Um, and in those situations, what I would recommend is knowing your resources. So the two big sources of contact would be the hospital where you're employed or for a lot of emergency physicians, that would be maybe your group and figure out either who your malpractice insurance carrier is and getting in touch with the legal representative through them and or, but probably and, the hospital risk management uh, department. And those are gonna be the two most important contacts because you'll have somebody that's representing and advocating for you, and then you'll also have usually the umbrella protection of the hospital. And then I guess just one other comment about whether or not you're authorized to speak. So HIPAA does have um, some caveats, and one of those is related to judicial and administrative proceedings as well as law enforcement. And in that situation, you can disclose protected health information if you're required by law, which is um, which includes uh, official subpoenas. So if you are subpoenaed to testify in court or for a deposition, do you get compensated for that time you spend away from your practice while you're involved? Who compensates you and who decides what those fees are? So that's another great question that I actually had to do a little bit more investigation into this to figure out. Um, and for this, I also... Uh, candidly spoke with my brother who he works out of state as an attorney and he specializes in insurance in insurance defense and professional liability and so his first comment is well it's very state dependent so for 
you know, folks that are listening in Oregon, this might be relevant, but, um, you know, if you're out of state, it may very well be a different situation. Um, so the truth is that there should be a witness fee. In light of this conversation that I had with my brother and thinking about these questions, <laughs> I turned to this subpoena that I currently have been receiving and delaying and receiving and delaying. And whenever you're presented with a subpoena, the witness fee should be associated with that document. And I flipped over my subpoena and sure enough, it says, does the state pay witnesses? And for this um, official Multnomah County subpoena, it does say, yes, witnesses are compensated for mileage and given a fixed witness fee. The fee is set by law and is designed to lessen the inconvenience and expense of testifying, although it is a minimal amount. A witness will often have to make some sacrifice in time and expense, but the criminal justice system could not operate without the cooperation of those who are called to testify. And the interesting thing that could be state-specific is whatever that fixed amount is, whether it's basically like minimum wage, or um, if you have a, a specialist, you may be compensated at the rate that you would be missing out on work, which would be more for a physician. However, there's also the caveat that certain practice groups and perhaps even the government may not let you double dip and collect that fee without sacrificing your normal wage and pay because you're missing your work. So there, if your practice has a non-compete clause, your witness fee actually may be problematic. So that would be something to look into. And the, I think, natural question to that is, okay, what if I'm more than just a witness? What if I'm providing expert testimony and should be compensated as such? Well, there is a difference between a factual witness, which is just to say, yes, there was a bruise, and you testify about the injury, and you enter your medical record. And then the alternative, which is an expert witness, where you might explain what causes the bruise. And if your opinion becomes entered by the as an expert opinion, and you've spent time reviewing the records, those could be compensated and perhaps you might have an invoice that either states up front what your hourly fee scale is and the expected reimbursement for time for travel, or perhaps an out, outline of your upfront costs. Sometimes expert witnesses might say, oh, I will be working a minimum of this number of hours and be compensated at $300, $500 an hour or something like that. However, I would even feel uncomfortable seeking out the opportunity to be an expert witness and I imagine if those listening to this podcast are in, you know, kind of more of a medical student um, place in their lives, I would say it's a long way off before I would even want to be considered as an expert witness. Uh, so that's just something to, <laughs> to keep in mind. So you did chat a little bit about this one. If you received a subpoena, would you contact legal representation? Um, so if you receive a subpoena about a patient who suffered a bad outcome, yes, I would always contact legal representation. And you should always have a lawyer available. Um, whether you're being a witness, bringing patient care into the court record, or whether it is related to your care, you always have coverage through your malpractice carrier. So just make sure that you first of all have malpractice insurance and perhaps that it has a tail so that when you move on to another job that you're still covered. The case that I did test or I was deposed as a witness um, was where related to a patient that I took care of during residency in Southern California, but was living in Oregon at the time. And that was of great expense to, you know, the lawyers and um, the parties involved to, they came up to Oregon to get my de deposition. 
um, which again is the difference between the flexibility of a witness deposition subpoena as opposed to being summoned for trial. Um, but with regard to legal representation, it was nice to know that I had somebody that I could ask questions to. I could make sure, am I you know, violating any privacy concerns? The, the nice thing about having legal representation, even when you're a witness um, or when it's related to a bad outcome, is they can also prepare you. And witness prep is a huge thing that lawyers are experts at and many doctors are not. <laughs> One thing that I will mention to this with regard to if you're being called as a witness to enter um, a document into the medical record, one should still be careful about your involvement in the case. Testifying under oath, it, you know, if you lie, that can get you in trouble. If you are subpoenaed and don't show up, that can get you into trouble. If you're um, subpoenaed and sometimes they give you less than 72 hours notice and you're either out of the country or um, working or there's some really overwhelming reason why you can't make it to a trial date and time, a lawyer can help act on your behalf to explain why you may not be there for that legal proceeding. And so even if it's not related to your care, it, you still should be protecting yourself if you can't give your testimony um, through re legal representation. The other thing to think about is when testifying in a trial, if you are acting more like an ex expert witness or explaining the nuances of a case. Maybe, for example, you're testifying what you think is the standard of care for somebody who comes in with leg weakness and numbness and difficulty walking and say, well, every doctor ever would get an MRI to make sure that person doesn't have cauda equina. And then years later, you're being sued for malpractice because you didn't get an MRI on a patient that ultimately had cauda equina, they might pull up your own old testimony and say, hey, you even said that this was the standard of care and everyone would have gotten this MRI. So in rare and extreme instances, especially if you're up against really fantastic lawyers that do their digging, <laughs> you might be testifying against your future self. <laughs> so just keep that in mind and why it's always good to have legal representation at all times. Okay, so you mentioned that you were kind of been in like a two-year-long process of a subpoena. So mm. Quite a long time ago, you were dealing with this patient. So when you are testifying in a court or deposition, are you relying mostly on the information that you recorded in the patient's me medical record, especially if it was years ago? Yeah, so that's a, you know, that's a tricky question um, because I'm somebody who likes to talk a lot, and so I have to always bite my tongue, and, and the reality of, a court proceeding is it should relate to facts and in hindsight and with time it can be really hard to remember the facts so when testifying in court I would highly recommend constantly referring back to the medical record and for witness prep I would defer to your attorney to help advise you in this but anecdotally I will say that a lot of uh, people say there are four answers to a question when you are on trial or you know giving when you're answering questions related to medical care and related to a medical record or whatever the answers are yes no i don't know and i don't recall and beyond that prefacing everything that you say with as i stated in my note <laughs> uh, and that is a good way to limit responses 
not go beyond the scope and stick to the facts. You can get into a lot of trouble with speculation and extrapolation. So sticking to yes, no, I don't know, and I don't recall is a pretty safe answer. Do you have anything you'd like to add? You know, I think that um, I think that first and foremost, this is just as a reminder, is not legal advice. <laughs> this is. Um, all just um, experience that you know I've either had or have heard about through colleagues and friends um, and I think that the best takeaway is just to know who your advocates are and to know where your support is it can be really scary getting an official document and every time I've had either a lawyer call me or received official communication such as a subpoena the first thing I do is I sweat a little bit and I panic and I get nervous. And thankfully, <laughs> again, it has not been related to patient care, but it still is a scary process. And my job is to take care of patients in an emergency department. My job is not to understand the legal system. And so the takeaways I would say are make sure you have malpractice insurance, make sure that you know who they are, and always contact your insurance carrier because they should be able to connect you with appropriate representation. And then also know that there is a risk management office at every hospital, and they are also some uh, somebody that should be involved in the process. Emergency physicians often change jobs. I have already worked at over five hospitals that I can think of in just the last few years, whether I was moonlighting or going between different jobs or hospitals. And I would recommend keeping, whether it's a file in your desk, whether it's a file on your computer, whether it's pictures on your phone of malpractice insurance documents that you've signed, keep track of where you work who insured you at that time, and who to contact. It makes the process a lot less of a headache if you receive a subpoena in three years related to a patient that you don't remember. Uh, so just, uh, I would say, kind of keep that in mind. And you might even keep it in your in a special copy of your resume where you worked, those contact information, <laughs> that contact information for who you were insured by. Because if you're not, even if it's, you're not subpoenaed or sued or whatever, when you go to your next job, they want to know who previously insured you. So I think that knowing that information takes a lot of the headache out of future paperwork. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate all the advice you had for our listeners.